Hey everyone, it's Katie in Rome. If you like the show, help us spread the word. Tell a friend. Find us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. And visit our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany was supposed to be here today, but she had some sort of family thing. I would say a family emergency, but it makes it sound too dramatic. So some sort of family thing, which means she's not here. And she'll be terribly disappointed to know that I'm talking with Marcia De Salvatore again. If you didn't listen to the comedy episodes, episode 29 and 30, you should check those out. But check her out right now. First, hi. Thanks for coming. Hello. Thanks for having me again. And I'm sorry that Tiffany's not here. She's been so great over the years yeah. supporting what I do. She's my fan. I love it. She's great. Do you want to give us a description of what you do for people who didn't hear your first appearance? Yeah. So I am originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. Both parents are Calabrian, which means the southern tip of the boot of Italy. And I've been living in Rome for over 10 years. And about six years ago, I started up Rome's Comedy Club, which is a monthly English stand-up show in the city. So the motto is eternal laughs in the eternal city. And um, yeah, I've been doing that. It's been such a great project on both levels because, you know, performing, I love performing uh, stand-up, doing anything to make people laugh is really just a lot of fun but um it's been this great sort of opportunity where i've had other people in the audience come up and say you know i've always wanted to try comedy and they have and they were like to see them either just be like naturally talented or grow as a performer has been so rewarding and also um the audience just keeps growing and i get to have nowadays i have a lot more italians uh coming because sort of the stand-up scene is catched on and uh People are watching more YouTube clips of like Chris Rock and Eddie Izzard and stuff. So they have a good level, though, I have to say, a good level of English. They come out and uh, so it's great. So it's like my project has grown from just an expat thing to like both. You know, I live in Italy, so it's kind of sad not to have this sort of bubble, you know, of just the foreigners. So now it's great because now it's um, and I have an Italian comic in my show who does in English, she does his bits in English, Francesco DiCarlo, who I, because yeah. you came to see one of the shows over a year ago, yeah. and he was in it. He was great. He was great. great. Have you ever had anyone come up and say, sorry, I have a frog in my throat today, by the way, everybody. <clears throat> um, have you ever had anyone come up and say, yeah, I really want to do comedy, and you let them do it, and you're just like, oh, no, they're so bad. Uh, yes, but I won't mention any names, because you never know who knows who, but... um. Yeah, let's just, I, I won't go into specifics that there was a guy who would get terribly drunk um, before the show, which is not a good sign. I mean, yeah, a lot of us do drink a little bit for the nerve stage fright, but like a drink or two is not good to do stand-up drunk because you need a certain rhythm and a pace. So if you're like, yeah, slurring your word, you're not very funny. So this guy would get terribly drunk and his pieces were always a bit strange. But one time he was really drunk and he literally got up on the stage, drank his beer, and this is everyone's watching, waiting for something to happen. He got on the ground and did push-ups. <laughs> so I'm the one who produces the show, and I'm like, 
Oh my God. So that was one. And then another guy, God bless him. He, he, he was actually a normal person, but he thought it'd be appropriate to do some kind of S and M. I don't even know what the point of his bit was. But all I know is he took off his shirt. He ripped off his shirt, breaking the buttons off, took off his belt and started slapping himself. I have no idea. So I mean, I started, cla I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, I know. So I started clapping, which made everyone in the audience clap, which made him realize, oh, you need to get off the stage. I don't know what's going on. He got on the ground, was whipping himself. So, yeah, I've had that happen. Now I'm very selective of who goes on stage. Now I actually pick, and they have to be sort of at a certain level. What are the rules for if you want to be a stand-up comedy? Are there certain rules you kind of have to adhere to as to how you say stuff to be funny? Um, well, it's a lot of it has to do with there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. One piece is you have to have a very good set. That's you got to have the material written, yeah, and it's got to have the certain formula that stand up does, which is you know, you have to state the story, give it an action, and have a punch, yeah, which is the joke. So it's like every three lines you should have some sort of joke. So that's like a, a music. It's like music. It's got to have a certain rhythm. So you have to first have a very well written bit and then it's stage time because the more you have a good stage presence you have to be liked by the audience and you have to find your voice you know um somebody's voice is doing one-liners and maybe that's what how they are funny i'm more of a storyteller so i think those are the pieces and a lot of it is i don't know how much you can learn you know it's just like any art form you definitely can learn techniques to improve but i really think you either have it or you don't it's kind of rare that somebody is can really learn to be funny it's just i think sometimes it's more of a natural like anything mm -hmm. no i would i think that's it just comes out naturally i would agree do you want to give us an example of one of your bits um, i mean as we talk you have a show this friday yeah um of course okay. everybody at home won't be listening in real time the show will be long done by then but yeah, well, okay, so I can uh, I can do the beginning. I have a one-woman show called DM55, and the beginning is just me introducing myself, which I could do that bit. So um, my name is Marsha Josephine de Salvatore. So Marsha, um, it's funny because my mom is from Calabria, and she wanted to learn English watching 1970s show, and uh, there was a character named Marsha. And it's funny because it's not an Italian name, but she says... Oh, but I like the sound of the R. Marisha. 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 Well, as you can see, I have one R in my name, and I think she likes rolling, rolling her R's like hippies like rolling their joints. But anyways, my middle name is Josephine, which is actually after my grandma in Calabria. But the Italian version is Giuseppina, which if anybody knows in Italian, Giuseppina gets shortened to juicy. So can you imagine an introduction in English? Hi, my name is Juicy. You didn't get that? Juicy. Do you need me to repeat that? Juicy. I would have rocked the porn industry with that name, right? De Salvatore, I actually learned pronouncing in Italy because in Ohio, where I come from, when people had roll call, it kind of sounded like this. De Salvatore. De Salvatore. Is she Mexican? And if they were extra sassy, it would be De Salvatore. Hey, hey. 
And then I go on. Of course, I talk about my mom a lot. So I'll just uh, do the bit about my mom, which um, she's from Calabria, and she speaks a broken English, even though 40 years living in the States. <laughs> she loves to call my house when my roommate's there and I'm not home. She'll be like, is Marsha there? No. Tell her I'm her mother. Thank God. She loves to give me dating advice. Mamasha, why are you so complicata? You know, look at your father. You think I like your father? No. But he's a nice man and I'm a nice woman. We get married. And then my mom always tries to make me feel better. When I ask, do I look okay? I feel like I've gained weight. Oh, but that's okay, Masha. You were never skinny. You are Bella like this. Okay, I'm Bella like this. <laughs> so there's a little introduction to myself. And I do a lot more of my mom. She's a whole one-hour show. Does she understand you English well enough to know how you portray her? Oh, yeah. So the only thing is when, um, and I do a lot of my dad jokes, too. I make fun of my dad as well. He's a funny, stubborn Italian man. But they always say, I'm like, you should revolve your next trip to Italy when I have a comedy show so you can come see what I do. I mean, they've seen my one-woman show, and they've seen stuff on YouTube, but they were like, we will never come to this show because everyone in Rome thinks we're peasants from Calabria. <laughs> so they won't come to the show because they're embarrassed because they think all I do is talk about them, which I do 50% of the time, but... <laughs> well, they're a wealth of information, a wealth of jokes. <laughs> yeah, I know. They've given me so much. Where do you think you got your sense of humor from? Um, definitely from my dad. He's a great storyteller. And still to this day, after years and years, um, I do my stand-up for him the day of the show. And uh, when he laughs, I know it's, it's a good sign that I'll do well. But uh, he, he just says things, and I have to write it down. Because, I mean, a lot of my jokes are just him talking. He's just, he just says the funniest things. very ironic and... Uh, <laughs> it can be really negative, but in a funny way. And so definitely from him and also like my uh, my family members in Calabria, they're just great storytellers. Like we'll sit around at the dinner table and I have a few uncles um, and they just do impersonations of people and to watch them like just transform while they're telling a story of being that other person. And I guess, you know, I learned from that really. Mm-hmm. We just had lunch together, you and I, and Derek came along. And we were talking about a lot of things that are culturally Italian. And I would have thought that good storytelling was one. Is that like unique to your family or is that something that's culturally Italian? Um, I think Italians, when they talk in general, are very dynamic and expressive. So that definitely is an art form in itself. You know, when you see like right now, I'm using my hands as I talk. Like, you know, you'll see Italians, just a normal, you know, Romano talking to the bartender and they're having this animated discussion about soccer or about what they ate. And so for, I don't know if everybody's a good storyteller, but I think Italians in general are very expressive and sort of passionate, and that kind of comes out in whatever it is that they're talking about. But then, of course, then you have the select few that I think is just a sort of talent that they have. You know, like my uncles literally just completely change their accent and their tone. They become women if the characters are... Like, it's just crazy. So not everybody's probably like that, but I definitely the the passion and the energy of the Italians are... Yeah, We were saying as people who don't speak Italian very well, me in particular, Derek does pretty well, but if you're not passively paying attention to an Italian group walking past, but not trying to understand what they're saying, it either looks like they're giving a dissertation on, (laughs) 
you know, Play-Doh. Or yes. it looks like they're passionately yes. upset about something. Yes. That's so true about the dissertation on Play-Doh because they're like, oh, my God, you won't believe what happened. You know, and they're so dramatic. And then if it's like something exciting like Roma won the game, they're like, oh, my God, did you see Tati made that huge goal? Right? So it's true. Very excited and passionate and very, like, intense and drama. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think Italians are all natural. Even though they say that Americans, a lot of Italians are like, oh, of course you're American. <coughs> Sorry, you're funny <clears throat> and dynamic. Most Americans are. You know, they think that about us because we're so, I mean, I am, but loud and... They probably think we're expressive. uninhibited. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, and it comes out that they, they see, yeah. I, I think that's it because they see us as being the tourists that come to Rome are like, oh my God, look at that. It's so amazing. I don't know. Maybe that's, but they don't know what we're saying. And so maybe they think that, you know, we're the sort of yeah, uninhibited. And but they also think that we're what? Terribly fat, yes. uncultured. And don't know how to eat and drink too much. Yeah, drink too much. Yes. Yes. Drink way too much. Especially now. And what's embarrassing is that, it, it kind of holds true. I don't know if you've heard in Trastevere, which where we are is an amazing neighborhood, but over the years, you know, with the American universities that are here, the college students get ridiculously wasted and carry on that if you talk to the locals here, they're like, oh, you know, it's another Friday night with the drunk Americans and you're no Americans out there quit drinking and acting up in the streets. <laughs> Gosh, they're falling off into the Tevede. I mean, I'm sorry to those people that have died. I mean, so sorry to their families. But what are you doing standing on the Tiber ledge? Yeah. Have you heard these stories? Oh, I've heard, yeah. Multiple people have died in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I'm, again, I'm going to say I'm sorry so out to all the family members. But what are you doing? You're in another country. Why would you get, first of all, that wasted? You don't even remember that you're hanging off a cliff somewhere. I'm going to slap you. Stop. And that's one of the things living here. You know, when I go home, that's a shock because we get so used to living here that we just sip wine with our dinner and nobody really gets crazy. And then like this summer, I was in Chicago and there was a Chicago Bears, no Cubs. I'm sorry. As you can tell, I don't know my sports, but <laughs> there was a baseball game and the L, which is their sub with their uh, elevated train. There was scenes of like fraternity and sorority parties in the train. They were doing body shots. They were funneling beers. I'm like, you're going to a game. What is just, no? What do you think about the drinking culture? And the um, I think that w we think that drinking more is more normal. Definitely, for sure. Okay. I mean, but they would say that it's actually, did you ever, do you ever watch Ken Burns documentaries no. for PBS? Oh, no. Well, I haven't actually seen this one, but he did one about prohibition. And basically, one of the things that he says in that documentary, from my understanding, was that prohibition sort of came about because the drinking was so, so much worse than what it currently is like. People downing like a, a fifth of whiskey before noon, but having that be 20% or something like that. Wow. So I guess we're better. Okay, well, that kind of makes me feel better for that train ride into Chicago with people like funneling beers. <laughs> yeah, I think that there is sort of a, well, it, we were just discussing this last night, actually, because we got a bottle of wine from the mini market. Yeah. He offered to open it. We had him open it. He gives us two plastic cups. 
And we wandered over to Piazza Navona and sat and drank wine, you know, watching the world go by and thinking, like, why can't we do this in the United States? I know. Why it would be totally unheard of for him not only to open the bottle, but to give you plastic cups and be like, have a nice night. You can't drink in public. I I never just you just can't in the States. It's against the law. But is it because people can't? Because they're so insane with their drinking? Is that where? Because I actually never thought about that. Or, I don't know, maybe it's the Puritan background. Oh, okay. I was just wondering, yeah. I have no idea. Somebody write in and tell us why. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Please do. But it does seem ridiculous. Like, we, we, it's almost like we can't manage to have it in public. No. That's outside of a restaurant because we can't manage it. We can't handle it. Obviously, yeah. they go insane when they get to trust separate. No kidding. Yeah, but I guess that's sort of the American thing, like the excess, like even food and diet and... Well, I just noticed, you know, the difference is, you know, I've become quite a food snob living here, and I hate to be like that, but, you know, the Italians have such a, I have to say, big shout-out to them for their whole culture and eating and the digestion and why you eat certain things at a certain time that it makes sense. Like, you know, why would you drink a cappuccino after you have a pizza that has tomato sauce? Like, that's can't be good for your digestion (laughs) mixing milk products and tomatoes you know so a lot of that now when i go back to the states i find some certain things to be quite shocking the excessive more like portions and the big slurp is that what it's called what's the slurp what's the slurpee yeah no oh the big gulp from 7-eleven not slurping yes the big gulp like who if you were like give that to an italian they'd be like what is this? Is this for the whole family? No, it's like, no, that's just your intake of soda for the day. Not even. Go get a free refill. Exactly. The fr- oh, my God. That's for- See, that stuff is ridiculous. You should not be drinking that much soda. Anyways. And yet, at the same time, you're not against going back to the United States somewhere? No, I miss the States. You know, it's it's still home. But the problem is, is you get a bit crazy when you have, you know, you live abroad for so long that... Things are so normal about here. You're a foreigner in both places. And sometimes that kind of makes me even more confused because when I go home, of course, I go back to the Midwest, which is quite different. You know, you're, you know, living in a a city. And so maybe it's not as shocking. But to go back to Ohio can be quite traumatizing sometimes, even though my city has gotten much better since Natty. But just the way people live their lives and stuff culturally, I sometimes have gone I've grown to disagree even though there's so many great things about America because you're more Italian about stuff you know walking seeing beautiful things the food and stuff you know America's home when I go home I I love that I can joke with people we have the same sense of humor you know you're waiting for your coffee and you can talk to the person next to you make some joke about the day or politics or whatever and I miss that and I miss that there is this air there's this energy in the states that there's so much stuff going on that you can be a part of, you know. Um, it might be tough in the beginning, but things are possible. Anything is possible in the States. If you have the t- determination and the motivation, you can get there. Absolutely. And that's a beautiful thing, you know, when you're talking about career or projects that you want to do. And so, yeah, I'm always open to go back. It's yeah. just got to be the right time, though, because it would be a shock to my system to go back to Ohio from here. So it had to be some kind of... What's the right time? The right time is I start making contacts from here, doing what I would like to do in the next project would be uh, creating some kind of project in where I'm using comedy in a sort of social situation in a hospital with kids. I like to do comedy therapy. And so I'm starting to work on that project. But to give up everything here and just move 
would be a shock, I think, to anybody, because I've been here 12 years. Yeah, and you're making a living doing what you want to be doing. Exactly. I have created, and, you know, I'm well known here. You know, people know Rome's Comedy Club. I've been, you know, on TV. I've done radio spots and so to give up that sort of you know sort of status to go back and start from scratch is hard but if I started from scratch with already contacts built up and stuff then yeah absolutely I'm up for going back could you see yourself staying here your whole life no because the problem is is that I love Italians but sometimes I feel like my time with Italian men I just haven't really met the right one I feel like I don't really connect as much with them as I do with Americans, I, I don't know, because even though I do speak Italian fluently, and it is my culture, there's something about being in a relationship with Italian that has been hard for me to digest, sort of how things are done, the communicating, uh, the dating, and stuff like that. And so um, I sometimes just miss a nice American guy. What is it like to date here? Well, dating in general is a pain, but... Um, Dating Italian men, I mean, it's changing now, like from when I first moved here 12 years ago to now. You know, I'd go on dates with Italians in their mid to late 30s, and, you know, you'd find out that they'd still live at home, but that they were okay with it. Like, it's one thing if you live at home in your late 30s, but maybe because you're divorced or, like, there's a mental issue going on, I don't know. But to be at that age and still live at home like for an American that's quite a shock and and that they like it you know I had this guy went out with and his shoes were squeaking when he every time he would go to the bathroom I'm like do you have new shoes and he was like oh no my mom must have put them in the laundry when she did my washing and I'm like wow like in our world in America that would be like oh wow okay so you must live at home and your mom does your laundry Something's not right. And so I even asked him, I, con- I continued that conversation with like, do you like living at home? Well, I, of course, why wouldn't I? My mom, there's food all the time. She does my laundry. She brings me cappuccino to my bed to wake up. Well, where I come from, that would be not normal. <laughs> no. You know, one argument that I have heard for it is that because in the United States you're sort of out of the house around 18 sometimes 22 you know it depends but that kids in the United States have a relationship with their parents that gets frozen when they're still teenagers because then they move away and so it does make me wonder they must have a more adult relationship with their parents if you're still able to tolerate living in your parents home at 38 yeah but we think that we couldn't possibly do that because they'd be on our kids case all the time or they'd have rules that we'd have to live to right as independent people yeah no no absolutely but they just even have a different like uh, talking about a different situation the dynamic with parents I have I was teaching a little boy little boy 16 17 he was doing an exchange program in Kansas so I was just helping him get prepared his English but then we did some culture lessons because he's seen movies on TV about house parties and drinking and all that stuff in high schools and graduation and prom, blah, blah. So he was telling me that the, during the last weekend, him and his brother were alone in the house because the parents were away for like 10 days on some trip to Spain. And I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, did you have people over? And he was like, no, why? <laughs> I'm like, if you had an empty house in America with parents out of town in high school, there would be the massive party of the year. They just don't think like that. That's their parents' house. Why would they have people over? 
right? So that stems into like other things. Well, why wouldn't I? Why would I move out? You know, we eat together. We, we're a family. You know, they just don't think that even what I don't get personally is about privacy, like bringing these girls home. But they don't. They just either go in a car <laughs> and go to the John Nicolo, which is like inspiration point, like happy days. They all make out. Yeah, it's just different. But, you know, nowadays it is changing. The culture, people are traveling more and they're seeing what's going on outside of Italy and seeing how nice it is. And so, you know, it's very rare, I think, to find somebody that still lives at home. Yeah. I think that's definitely changing in the young generation. So there might be hope for you as far as dating I mean, somebody. I young generation, if I want to date a 20-year-old, I could be like the Italian cougar, but <laughs> I'll let you know. But... um the other part of dating is not necessarily a, 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 a strange shift in what's happening in the dating world. Is Everything's much faster with technology. Like now we have applications on our phone that we can literally click that we like an image of a person or a photo they have up. And you could, in an hour, go out and meet them for a coffee. And this app everybody knows is, is Tinder. Uh, but now there's other ones. There's like... Something called happen. I don't even know because I, I, it's just ridiculous. But it has given me. That's the other half of my show is these photos of these guys. And I'm like, do you really succeed having photos of your chest bare doing a selfie in a toilet? Like, I just does that work for you or with like an exotic pet? Like, I there was one guy. He looked teeny tiny and he, he was hugging a, a tiger. I'm like, just these weird photos. And I just question like. What is going on with this world? You know, it's just so quick. But uh, but you use it. I have because I'm just curious. I'm single and every once in a while I'm like, I need to do something about it. So I'll join these internet websites for like a week and then I end up writing comedy material. I did go out having to say with Tinder with a few guys that were nice professional. One guy that after one drink was like, okay, so we're going to go to your house. I'm like, wow, does that work for you? You you don't even have to pay for my meal. You think you're going to get lucky? Wow, that's that's what's happened, I guess, into the dating world. Everything's fast, so why not? Yeah, and you're an American, so you have a house somewhere. Exactly, and also we're, we have that reputation. Any foreign girl over Italian women, which is a big cultural difference. And again, I am generalizing to all the Italians out there. Most Italian women, they play hard to get. They like the games and hunted by the man you know and swept off the feet and maybe they wait to have sex for like three months i don't know but you know american women were pretty sort of liberal about stuff like that which also plays into the drinking and you know we're a little bit more free go easy and so definitely we had that reputation especially with italian guys mm. i it's so funny because when i first moved here i was getting hit on left and right when I would go out. Cause I, oh, you're American, right? And I would fall for it because I just moved here. I'm like, oh, my God, I love that all these Italian men are, you know, what was I doing in American? American men are like, hey, what's up? You want to hear my knock-knock joke? Like, you know, they're so, they're so bros, yeah, American men in general. And you come here and they're like, oh, I want to take you to the best trattoria in Rome. You are so beautiful, right? And so you fall for this charm, but... Now I don't get hit on as much because I think my face is like, yeah, I might be foreign, but don't even play that game because you're not going to get very far. But when you first move here, you're like, oh, my God, I love it. Yes. Pick me up on your scooter and take me to the John Nicolo. I was actually saying the opposite yesterday. I feel like I am unattractive in this culture. 
I never get hit on. But maybe I'm just putting out a bad vibe. I think you're putting out the vibe because you're you probably meant because you you're yeah. I think it's because you're not single. But never like not even like ah bella. Nope. Never. Were you with your husband at the time? <laughs> that could probably that might cause problems <laughs> if you're with a guy. Well, I feel like even in in the United States, it just is sort of like that. Maybe they're more apt to just yell out something. Do they do that here? Where, you know, in the United States, somebody will just be like, hey, uh, and they go by in a car. <laughs> I mean, no, I, you, what? You mean you, as you're walking, someone's screaming at you outside the car? Well, it's rare now that I'm older. But. <clears throat> I mean, I've not personally had that happen. <laughs> so maybe we have, yeah, no. No, but I mean, yeah, it's funny because here, I don't know, I always feel like you're always getting chatted up by someone. I was, just the other day, this guy, he was like 30 years older. He had a daughter, I think my age or something, and he asked for my number, you know, like just random stuff. And I actually looked like crap that day. I was like, what do you want? He's like, oh, you're, of course, because he heard that I was American and whatever. He's like, oh, I want to take, he didn't call. Or maybe that was him before. <laughs> I had an unknown number just before call me. No, anyways. But uh, even like bus drivers, that you know, they'd maybe not hit on you fully, but they might say when you ask for directions, ah, you know, kind of tap you or wink at you. Mm-hmm. We need to get you out and hit on. Well, I'll tell your husband. <laughs> Probably for the best. I've only yeah. got a week left, really. Okay, darn, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's turn it to a serious note. <laughs> One of the things that... I wanted to talk to you about last time you were on the show, but we never got a chance to, was the fact that you actually live here with a medical condition. Yes, I do. Tell us about that. Okay, bring it down now. Okay, so I um, I have a Mediterranean anemia, which they call it. The sort of scientific name is thalassemia, which basically what that means is that my body doesn't reproduce red blood cells, so I have to get, unfortunately, blood transfusions every two to three weeks. And so... When I was in my mid-20s, I thought, oh, God, it's going to be a little tricky to travel with or move somewhere with. But then I started doing research, and because the illness is predominantly a Mediterranean illness, for those of you that might know, it's very similar to sickle cell anemia, which is more African-based, so most of the black population have sickle cell. Um, but Mediterranean Greeks, Turkish people, Italians are most, mostly known to have this illness. So I thought, you know, as I did my research and I knew I was going to come to Rome and I was looking at the clinic here, I thought, you know what? Why can't I have a transfusion? I mean, blood is blood. Like, I don't think I would have a transfusion in China, but do I mean it's Italy? You know, I looked up the healthcare. I even came over and kind of met the doctors before. And so I had an idea of what I was getting myself into. And um, yeah, so I decided, oh, well, so I moved here with this condition and um it's been great because I get free health care and um, my illness is really well known here, whereas in the Midwest, not so much. Like I said, Italian, Greek based and Cincinnati doesn't have a huge population, lots of German and Polish. So, you know, anytime I had to go to an ER and say, you know, I have thalassemia, just so you know, they would have to go and look up in a book what that was. But it's not like that in a big city like New York or Philadelphia or Seattle, you know, et cetera. But, you know, coming from my hometown, not a very well-known illness. When I came here, everyone knows what this illness is because it's like, it's predominantly an Italian thing. So I moved here and it's interesting. So I have a one-woman show where I talk about this in a sort of a comedic approach. I talk about my life with this illness, having Calabrian parents, a very Italian 
a typical Italian trait is to keep things within the family. Everything is family-based, as you probably have seen. And so I kept my illness a secret until I was about 30 when I moved here. Because I thought, why should I tell my friends? You know, my parents were like, don't tell anybody if you don't have to. And so I did, and then I moved here, and um, my second appointment to have a transfusion, you are meant to call a, a phone number, and it has a list of codes. And my code is DM55. So I called this recording, and I wasn't on the recording for my appointment the next day. And I hung up, and I thought, that's not possible. So I called again, and I called another time. And it occurred to me, oh my God, I don't have blood. And if I don't tell people to go and donate because they don't know about what I have, I could be in trouble. And so it was kind of this awakening coming to Rome and having that happen that, you know, blood is definitely not something. Because in America, it's such a culture to donate blood. I think everybody has at least once in their life, if they don't have problems, have donated. Where here, not so much. And so from that experience and through the comedy uh, and the help of my friend Kissy Dugan, who's a comedian writer, we sat down and we wrote a one-woman show. It's called DM55. And I talk about a few, I have a few messages, so I do some stand-up. And then I talk about my mom's experience with the illnesses or the moments that it's kind of sort of serious. And then I talk about, there's a scene where I talk about all the lies that I told in the past to cover up my illness, like tell my ex-boyfriend, oh, I had a root canal that day and we're eating pizza because I had, uh, I had my treatment, but I didn't want to tell him that. And he's like, doesn't it hurt when you crunch? Um, no, I'm still under the anesthetic. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to hurry up, you know? So it's like, you know, so we're, it was funny you asked that question. Where do you get your comedy? Well, they say, and I, I do quote this in my show that, Time plus tragedy is comedy. And so I think that that has given me, you know, when you're given a big problem in your life, whether it's health or family or everybody has different kinds of problems, you have to step out of it for a second. You can't be in it all the time because you'd be very depressed. Step out of it, turn it around. And what do you got? You got loud. You just make fun of it and laugh about it. And so the show has that. And the other messages are about embracing these disabilities and coming out so in the show i have like this sort of coming out and accepting who i am and this stuff and the importance of donating blood which is i am here because thanks to all the donors in my lifetime yeah it's interesting that it would be common enough that people would know about it in this culture but then it would not be a blood donating culture you know we have it in our school systems we were taught young i mean i remember in class listening people say okay you need to donate blood by the time you're 18 it was just something that then doesn't become a taboo oh needles uh of course there are those people that are squeamish about needles that's fine but you don't get weirded out that you're giving blood because you learned from an early age it's just something you do right not something that's weird or you're going to get some illness etc where here they don't do that and so they still have some weird misconceptions and stuff like that and also they're so strict here they have a lot of which i think doesn't help i mean you have to donate before 11 a.m on an empty stomach and the rules are crazy i'm not quite sure why but they're much stricter here um whereas in america you can donate any time of the day you could eat a big mac and then go donate you know but here it's like oh my god you have to be on an empty stomach so i don't know if that probably deters a lot of people as well so it's part of educating people at a younger age and to have less rules. 
And in America, you get a cookie afterwards. I know, you get a Cornetto and a day off here. Oh. You get a day off of work. Well, that seems like a reasonable... It is. That's how they get people. It's getting better, slowly. They're starting to get vans. That was another thing is that and with Hawks or any kind of blood organization, they go out to businesses and, and schools and universities to get people to donate and have like the van out. Now they're starting to do that here, which is something they weren't doing before. So, Did you have anything to do with that in trying to get the word out? Oh, my God, yeah. So that's been my mission. So ever since I came out and told people about my illness and everybody was like, oh, all right. All my friends were like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. That sucks. But okay, let's, let's get over that. We'll go donate. I was like, that's it? So it became my mission. So at my school, I was working. I was teaching English at a pretty big school with a lot of students. So I would do two times a year a big blood drive. The van would come. I'd get students, teachers, staff to donate and then all my friends I have a checklist of like who needs to go and when so I do that and then in my show because my show is about that I've been asked to go talk at schools and then they have a blood drive afterwards and so yeah I think I've helped and I hope I can do more as you're growing up with this condition did that make you feel like I I just can't go do things I I mean you mentioned China does that mean you could you could only go to China for two weeks how does it affect you it's not a fun feeling, you know, you know, because everything is timed accordingly to like what treatment and when, and sometimes it gets frustrating if, you know, there is no blood, like just the other week. It hasn't happened in a while. I have to say a good two or three years where I had to wait a day for blood because there wasn't any, that doesn't feel so. I think that feels much worse knowing that you have no control. I have no control. Like, you know, and it's getting get scary when you're giving your whole health that the fact that you live off of other people is overwhelming. So I think that's scarier. The traveling, yeah, because I wanted to go to Thailand a few years back, and my friend was like, oh, let's go for three weeks in a month. That, yeah, it is sad. I can't do that. But at the same time, it's not that I can't, can't. It's just got to be two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I just think there's probably worse things that I, I could never. I remember somebody said, gosh, you could never date, like, somebody that has a sailboat that would travel the world. I'm like, that's a good point. But I never even thought about stuff like that because you just, it's not that I can't do certain things. It's just, it has to be organized in a time. So, yeah, it gets me down. But I think more the fact that I have no control is worse. What happens if there's no blood? Well, that's it. Not a good, not a good thing for me. I don't live that much, probably, I don't know how many months, but... Yeah, you just, you know what happens is that my illness then kicks into an anemic state and your counts keep getting lower and lower and lower. So the symptoms of that is not very pretty, just kind of, you know, so fatigued. Yeah. So and then eventually, you're, what eventually happens is the, why are you fatigued? It's because you're not getting oxygen distributed because that's what your red blood cells do. And so obviously if you're not getting oxygen, you can't breathe in your heart. And so that's probably pretty. So yeah, things like that, that's stuff that I think of. Like when there's a war, that scares me. But then I have a friend who logically said, well, we're going to be all at risk, not just you. (laughs) And it's a good point. Because I'm like, if there's a famine or a war, and her her name is Louise, so we'll give her the credit. She was like, Marsha, but we're all going to be at risk, not just you. I'm like, okay, that's a good point. (laughs) So, yeah, but anyways, so to answer the question, more about not having control. Why did you decide to move to Rome in the first place? Well, it was a stable time in my life, and I really wanted to travel. And that is how I can travel, is if I did stay in one place, that's not China. You know, I would go to Australia and have transfusions. I mean, just think about it, because a lot of people are like, well, I'm sure in China there's 
private health clinics, would you go to China and have it? I mean, not to be bad about China. I'm so sorry. It's not about China, but certain places that, you know, India, you might question like how, it's just different approaches to medicine. And so, but certain places, I mean, if I lived somewhere, then I would just have treatment there. I lived in Seattle for a summer. I had treatment there. Yeah, so I was a stable part of my life. And I thought, well, I can be in Italy and travel all over Europe. And so it kind of started out as just an experience. And then I just loved it here, the beauty and everything. So I stayed. And the free health care. I know. Well, that's another big thing. If you were in the United States, you would have to have amazing insurance oh God, to cover all this. It's a huge huge problem and I'm very disappointed about my country of where I'm from with this issue because you know it's not like I asked to have this illness so you feel like you're penalized but yes of course I can have Medicare so it's, you, there are, you can get free health care I, I was always lucky I had I had my treatments I had great doctors nurses nice hospital whatever and it was free but to have Medicare you can't work a certain amount of hours. You can't make a certain amount of money. You can't own anything, have a savings account, can't be in my parents' will, can't own a car. You can't own anything because you're showing the government, well, look, I can support myself. Therefore, you should probably find a health care plan, which is impossible for a pre-existing condition. So it just, it just doesn't make any sense for a country like the state. So, yeah, I did have free health care, but I would have to live like a disabled person working, you know, 20 hours a week where... I can function in society. I just, why would I lose my free benefits to work for a company that then is not going to give me health care? Because yeah. I have a free existing condition. So, and it's terrible. And then sometimes a lot of, even if you do get Medicare, they don't cover uh, prescription medication. And I take a lot of medication. I have one medication that I take like 10 tablets, uh, no, five tablets a day. And I consume maybe a, a box of it in three days. It costs, 75 euro every three days can you imagine paying for that no people sell their houses that are on can't you know can't pay for stuff they have cancer things like that and, and i find that it's a very disappointing thing and now i don't know what i'm not informed of about is obamacare because maybe if i did go back and that this is one of the reasons why it's been off-putting is to go back to this health care of a mess but I'm not informed, so Obamacare maybe could be my way. Yes, I think you probably could find plans now that will accept you, even though you have a pre-existing condition. It's much more common now. Right. And now everybody has to be insured. We were just researching it while we were here because I need to get on a plan when we get back. Oh, okay. And so, so you know. okay. Derek knows more than me because he's a good researcher and I... I can look at it for 10 minutes before my mind glazes oh my and I'm God, over clicking over at Facebook. <laughs> I can imagine because you know what it is here. It's so easy. It's bureaucratic. I had to go to like three offices and I had to take three months. But I literally pay for nothing. And I'm going to also the myth that people wait for months for stuff is not true. I will confirm that. So I'm going to repeat that. These ideas that people have about social, and this is Italy. So when I have to have an appointment, if it's a life-threatening problem, I will definitely get an appointment quickly. If it's just a regular, like I had to have, I did have a mammogram this morning. I made that appointment probably a year ago. I don't have a life-threatening issue to have this mammogram. So I think it's okay in a socialized medicine where I did not pay for this treatment. 
that I waited. So these misconceptions, and this is Italy. If you were probably in the UK, and Italy is known for mismanagement on organization. I'm sure in the UK and Canada, it's probably not even like that. Because there's a lot of weird stuff with the, because a lot of the hospitals in Rome do look like scary World War II hit. Like, is that wall, like, you're doing your treatment, you're not sure if, like, the wall's going to crumble down, like, you know, and you go to America, you have your own private television, you know, with, with cater, with some kind of, you can call the cafeteria and have food sent up to you. And the fish tank in the lobby. I know, oh my god, the fish tank, ridiculous. Yeah, artwork, like, it's just crazy. It's all pastel colors. Always that light green, light pink, it's light true. blue. It's still ugly. I know hospitals will always have that smell and have that look, but they try their best. I just remember I was in a hospital and they had a huge um, screen with different codes. And, and I asked, them, like, what is it? They're like, oh, those are for the surgery patients. And those are the symbols at what point they are during the surgery. So if it was like a little knife, they're being cut. So they're parents and family members would know like oh this is going to take another hour or what point how things were going you know instead of having that why don't you pay for some homeless person to have health care like i just you don't need that kind of stuff no yeah i've never even heard of that yes. i'm like what oh my god i was cracking up and then there was one that had a band-aid which means they're being sutured and whatever yeah. and i was like you need that you can't have someone come out and be like everything's okay should be done in an hour Instead of giving someone who has cancer, they have to sell their house because they can't pay. Like, I just, it's ridiculous. One of the many reasons to not move back. I know. No, I know, I know. But hopefully we got Obamacare. And if Hillary does win, then there'll be health care as well. She's off for that. If Donald Trump, well, then I probably would die on the side of the road <laughs> if he gets elected. But I think we'll all die on the side of the road having him. Maybe he won't let you back in. I know. Wait a minute. Am I considered like a Mexican because I'm Italian? He's like, oh, anybody outside the U.S., they're like Mexicans, like just raping children. And What is wrong with him? Americans, please don't disappoint me. I noticed you have a tattoo of DM55. Yes, I do. I have a tattoo. You know, I have tattoos that sort of represent important things in my life. And that is definitely uh, has been a huge milestone in this show. And being able to share this thing that I kept a secret for such a long time. And the enthusiasm I've gotten back from it has been amazing. Maybe just to end, can, do you remember what you expected to have happen if you ever revealed the secret? what you thought of in your mind if you admitted that you had this disease to your friends? Oh, yeah, I just being judged and felt sorry for, which was something that even though my parents had keep it a secret, they never, and with all the things I, I do in my life, it's because of my parents, because they never made me believe that I was sick. They were like, you can do that. You can do that. Even when I moved to Italy, they're like, okay. Like, they never made me feel that. But, um, yeah, so just being told, like, eh, you know, maybe being judged because it is a blood thing. It's not, a, you know, a pretty sight to be stuck and stuff like that. So that kind of stuff, judged and felt sorry for. So that's what I, I thought I would get, like, some kind of pity party. And it was the opposite. But, again, I hang out with intelligent people. So I guess if I didn't, I wouldn't be friends with them. But, yeah, just amazing. I actually have one more question. Why did your parents end up in Cincinnati? Cincinnati, as the Italians say. <laughs> My dad's sister, Lena, married an American guy during the military who was from Cincinnati, and that's where his family was. So when you move as an immigrant, you move to where you have family. And so when they were looking to move to the States, they just, Cincinnati was it. 
which was quite a shock because he thought, well, it's going to be like New York. Then he goes and people are like, where are you from? Italy. What's that? Cincinnati is not the big happening place, really. Now it's better. But they stayed. They did because I did well with my illness. Uh, another thing about my illness, the doctor, when my parents decided to move back to Calabria after a couple of years, the doctors there said, oh, she's not going to live past a certain age. So they were like, we're not staying here. So they went back for that reason. So it's kind of funny. Now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, and they weren't worried we about that at all. Circle, folks. <laughs> In every guy's comedy, we've just come full circle. And they weren't worried about that at all? You coming back? No, because they knew that they they were doing the research with me that Rome was a good place for this. And I have a great clinic. I love my doctors. My nurses are amazing. No, not at the time because we were researching. They met them and they felt comfortable. So there's just that bad Calabrian doctor in the 70s. He's going to die. (laughs) Whatever. But that was back in the day, you know. Is there anything you want to tell people about in case they're coming to Rome and they want to find you? Oh, yes. Yeah. So please come to the comedy show. You can look it up by just looking, Googling Rome's Comedy Club. I have a Facebook page, Twitter account, and a website. <coughs> if you're interested in the DM55, I'm, I move around with the show. Anybody that would like me to do a show, even for a, a blood organization like Hawksworth in Cincinnati or... Red Cross, I'm available as well. I have a website, Marsha De Salvatore, or you can just put in DM55. I have a trailer on YouTube as well. So. Isn't that a show you usually do in Italian? Can no, you I do it in English. Oh, I just you. did it in Cincinnati for my friends and family and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I would like to break through the American side, but it's kind of hard from here. So, But anybody that would like me to come and talk, I do also comedy therapy talks. So you can Google me and you will find me. Yeah, you can always write to us, too, and okay. we can tell you how to find you. Perfect. <laughs> That'll work. Well, thanks again for coming back out and meeting me. Thank uh, you. Rome again. It's pretty cool. Yes. When will we meet again? I don't know. Maybe in Seattle. Maybe. Maybe in Rome again. Maybe. Yeah, you should come to Seattle. I would love to. Well, thank you. It's good to talk All to you. Right. Thank you. And until next time when Tiffany joins us, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. If you want to support the show, please visit our webpage, thebittersweetlife.net, and click the donation button. We uh, think that the conversation has a lot more places it can go. Visit the donate button at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Additionally, if you're interested in sponsoring the program and reaching thousands of people all over the world, send us an email at bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at M-A-I-L dot com to get the conversation going. Thank you for all the ways you support us, and we'll talk to you next week.